Well, good morning, Hope. It's good to see everyone here. It's a nice, warm, humid uh, summer morning here. I just want to say that I love mornings like this. If I could pick every morning of my life to be a certain temperature, this would be it. And so I know that probably, just as a quick maybe, let's just take a vote here. I'm going to give you three choices. Super perfect day like today. Um, January 12th, negative 12 degrees, or uh, the easy way out is four seasons. So who would pick a day like today? All right, good, good. Look at all the smart people here. All right, so now January 12th, who would pick January 12th? Oh, wow. That's surprising. Actually, it's not. I saw who raised their hands. I know you guys. Uh, Now, who would just kind of give the, I, I like all four seasons. They're just wonderful. Good. That's good. That's very Midwestern of you. You know, that's very good. Well, my name is Jeff Brewer, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been spending some time taking a look at God's Word from the book of Proverbs this summer, and so um, before we spend some time, I'm going to read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Just want to remind you of a few things. First, we have a membership class today after the service. Uh, If you didn't sign up, but you would like to learn more about what membership means in a local church, specifically here at Hope, um, we'd love to have you join us. And so you can talk to me, talk to Pastor John, talk to Tori uh, about that. Uh, If you're interested in staying, it'll be a light lunch and we'll start probably around 1130 and it'll go for about two hours today. And so, and there is some childcare available as well. Um, also, Jared and Megan Cockrum are coming on jo- uh, August 8th. They're gonna, Jared is going to be preaching. We're going to have a picnic after the service over in Knowles Park, and so you'll get more information about that. And as already was said, Glenbard East, September 5th, we're going back to the high school, and we're excited. We're excited to be able to have some measure of kids' ministry again and hope kids to be able to be in the auditorium worshiping together and to be somewhat feeling like it's back to normal. So uh, again, that's September 5th. Membership class today, and then Jared and Megan are coming on August 8th. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and it'll be up on the screen as well. And I'm going to read just two verses, and we'll keep coming back to these two verses. They're very, very well-known verses from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the grace that you give to us. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning, that you remind us of truth about who your son is, that you have shown such perfect peace and love and justice, and those things mingled at the cross of our Savior. We thank you that he died for us, that he rose from the grave, that he conquered death so that we might never taste death but might have life eternal with you. And so, Father, I pray for those who are here, who are your children and who know this life, I pray, Lord, that you would feed us and encourage us. Lord, for those who might be here and they might be searching, I pray that you would help them to find answers. And to those who might be here who are hardened, to things about you, Lord, would you soften them? We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I read an article this week that said, basically, research has shown that the average adult makes 70 conscious decisions every single day. 
That's conscious decisions, decisions that we're thinking about, which means over the course of a decade, we would be making roughly 3,652 decisions, conscious decisions. And that also means that in the average lifespan, a person will roughly make 25,564 decisions, which actually, that's a lot, but it doesn't seem like all that many to me. You know, of course, of those, many of those decisions, they'll be minor. You know, what cereal do I eat for breakfast? Lucky Charms. You know, where should I go to college? Ohio State, of course. Um, but, but some of those decisions might be incredibly significant. They're going to affect your life for decades to come, and they'll affect the lives of others. What career should I choose? Who should I marry? Should we have children? You know, in this article that Joe Carter wrote about decisions, he says, he concludes this, he says, because of the significance of decision-making, we need to develop the habit of doing it well. And so we all make decisions, that's well said, some of them feel very weighty in our lives. Some of them feel very weighty in the lives of those close to us. And so we want to be wise in the decisions we make. We want to have good habits in how we make good decisions. And so over the last three weeks, you might remember in, the, in this series on Proverbs, we've taken it three weeks out and we've been talking about seeking wisdom in decision making. You know, except if you notice, we really haven't talked about making a decision itself at all. The first week we talked about getting advice, which is part of the taking, taking and getting advice, which is part of the decision making process. Remember Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And so we took some time to say, what does it mean to listen to advice? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to to advice. And then last week we talked about planning, with the idea being that if we get advice and we're on about a particular topic or decision we need to make, then we need to think about the plan and how we might plan wisely. We looked at Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. And Proverbs 16, 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And so we make the plans, but the responding tongue, God's response, is actually working things out. And so this morning, finally, we're going to talk about how to make a wise decision according to Proverbs. Except, really, let me just say from the beginning here, here's the catch. Wisdom in Proverbs really seems to be bound up in the getting advice and the making wise plans portion of decision-making. In other words, decision-making isn't just the activity of choosing between two things and kind of how do I in the moment kind of make a good choice, door one, door two, what do I do, what do I do? Decision-making is in the advice, the planning, it's in the whole process so that we might make wise decisions. And so listen again to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 that we're going to really focus in on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So in order to kind of get at this verse, I want us to think about three things in particular about the will of God. So if we're talking about making plans and God's plans, we want to think about what is the will of God, because isn't that what we're seeking when we want to make a wise decision, making one according to the will of God? So first point, we're going to look at the will of God. 
Then second, we're going to turn to our decisions in light of the will of God. And then last, how do we make wise decisions? So what is the will of God? Then how are decisions in light of the will of God? And then last, how do we make good decisions? So let's look first here at the will of God. You know, I became a Christian when I was 19 years old, when I went off to college, and I became a Christian in part because some students came over to my dorm room, and they sat down and they read through a little booklet with me, and it was called The Four Spiritual Laws. And at the beginning of The Four Spiritual Laws, it begins with this statement. It says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And the plan that they're speaking of, God's plan for my life that they were speaking of, was the plan of salvation how God sent his son to pay for my sins so that I might be forgiven and I might be able to live a life, a new life, following after him. And it was comforting. I remember being comforted that God is God and he has a plan. And so when we say, like Solomon did in Proverbs, he will make straight your paths, it's to believe fundamentally that God has a plan. And if we want to know kind of what is God's biggest plan, It's to make himself known through his son, Jesus, that he will accomplish his will. He will accomplish his purposes. Here's how John Frame, who's a theologian, he has the simple definition of God's will. It's this, God's will is anything that God wants to happen. God's will is anything that he wants to happen. So listen to Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. So he is exclusive. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. So before creation, all the way to the future that we can't know, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God is saying, I am God I will accomplish my purpose. I will accomplish my will. And so we have to say, God will accomplish his purposes. God will accomplish his will. Kind of full stop. Nothing will happen outside his will. Now, I want us to to think about this a little bit more because I think that's an incredibly comforting statement to think about that nothing will happen outside of God's will, especially related to how we make decisions. But but really, I just want to say, this is like that pool in Dubai that they just made that's like a diving pool and it's 200 feet straight down. This is the deep end of the theological pool. Like, I I can't think of deeper ends of theological pools than where we are here this morning. Because it's deep because we have to define what we're talking about here when we say God's will. And when we do that, we have to start thinking about it in our own lives and start thinking about how does this all fit together? So how does my responsibility and how does God being in control or God being sovereign, how do those two things fit together? And so when we say God's will... One way that we're talking about God having a will and him using his will and showing his purposes in the world is we can say there's an aspect of God's will that's anything that comes to pass. And so God wills it and it comes to pass. And so we can really see this aspect of God's will when we look backwards. 
when we look back in our life, look back into the past, we can say, I can say, it was God's will that I married Jen Wepkenberg and now Jen Brewer. She is, it was God's will because that happened. And so we can look in the past and we can see in the rearview mirror clearly what God willed to take place because it did happen. Now, there's all sorts of times that people start getting themselves in a little bit of a bind because they start saying, well, was that really God's will? I don't know. But what we have to say, according to Scripture, is it was God's will because it took place. When we, when we look in the rearview mirror, the difficulty is, though, what we can't answer when we look at God's will in the rearview mirror is why. Why was that God's will? Look, isn't that the question that we want to answer so often when we're thinking about God's will? We're either wondering what... What should I do? What is God's will for my life? Or we're looking back and we're saying, why? Why, God, was that your will? Why did you have that happen? And so God is able to decree that all things come to pass, and yet at the same time, because so if we say all things come to pass, we have to say, look, well, what about these things that happen in our past that, that have been sinful? What about these things in the past that have been um, so kind of just destructive? What, where do we put, what category do we put them in? And so God's able to decree all things come to pass, and yet, Scripture is very clear, He is not responsible at all for evil. So 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And what that means is, God is not, it's not like the yin and the yang, where God is part good and part evil, and he kind of lives in, in tension with himself. He is all good. He is, God is light, he is completely pure, and in him is no darkness at all. There's no evil, there's no wickedness. So he's able to use evil for his purposes, and yet not be morally responsible for it. Now, where do we go? So, look, I told you that was the deep end of the theological pool. So, how in the world do we fit that together? How can God use all things together for good and yet not be responsible? And so, what we'd have to do is we have to think about the cross. This is the best example. God held those who crucified Jesus morally responsible. They were morally responsible for the evil that they did against the Son. And yet, in Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And so it was the will of God that the Son bear the evil of the cross for our sake. That was the will of God for him to be crushed for us. But he did that for a purpose. There was a purpose there. And so this is kind of trying to fit together how are there people who are responsible and yet God is still in control. Scripture clearly teaches both. You know, another way we could think about God's will is not just kind of what he decrees, but also what he commands. It's God's will that we obey what he commands and that we, call, we obey what he calls good and we turn away from what he calls evil. And so, you know, so here's what it means in relation to making decisions. It's wrong for us to choose sin. That is against the will of God. We can say that very clearly. So 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, for, the, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, or that you would be made holy. Now then, he defines what it means specifically for you to be holy, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So you can know without a shadow of a doubt, because Scripture tells us this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would grow in holiness. What's it mean negatively? 
that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so God want, it's God's will that you abstain from sexual immorality. So what this means in our decisions is we can't approach questions of morality with a question mark kind of wondering, will it be the will of God? Will it not? You know, so, so essentially, if you're asking the question, should I rob Walgreens on the way home today to pick up some extra cash? The answer is, is that God's will? The answer is what? No. And the reason is because it would be stealing. It could be potentially murderous. There, there's a, it's not God's will for your life. I can say that with 100% confidence. It is not God's will because stealing is clearly wrong. Now, if you go into Walgreens on your way home and there's a robbery that takes place while you're there, where do you put that in, the, in your category? Kind of how do you fit that in? According to all that we've just said, we can confidently say this. It was the will of God because it took place, and yet it was morally wrong for that person to do it, and they will be held accountable. And so how all these things fit together, it's a mystery to us. We can't know the mind of God. And so I think, actually, where a lot of people go wrong is they start trying to kind of just kind of detail it out and say, well, this is what it means, or this is why it happens, or this is why God does this. But what it, the, we can take a step back, and what we have to do is this. We have to remember, God never does wrong. He can never be accused of evil. He's promised to work all things according to his purpose. And so no matter what happens in your life, you can trust God even if you don't understand. So let me give you two examples from Scripture. First example, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And this is the life of Joseph. And you might remember the story of Joseph where he was sold into slavery by his brothers. They thought he was dead. He thought, they thought he was long gone. And he gets to the end of his life. He doesn't hold it over their heads. And he says this to them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so here we see the reason, we give a reason, a reason is given for, my, for us from God that many people should be kept alive. So this is where we can take great comfort in the will of God. Even when we look at a situation in our lives that's a mess, and, and maybe that mess is a mess of our own making, we can trust God that even though we might have meant it for evil or somebody else might have meant it for evil, God can mean it, and he can use it for his purposes for good. And so this is where, in that context, Romans 8.28 is a verse that should bring great comfort. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, so according to his will. And so, so all things can work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God's will will be accomplished. It's his will that you would follow his commands and you can take confidence in the fact that he will accomplish his purposes through you even in ways that you might not fully understand. Now, let's turn from thinking about God's will to now thinking about how do we make decisions or our decisions in light of the will of God. Now, in light of everything we just talked about, about the will of God, it should be incredibly comforting because if we start to think about all the decisions that are facing us in life, we can become paralyzed 
if we think of God's will as some kind of thing out there that's kind of floating in space that we have to go make sure we grab a hold of God's will. That what is God's will? I don't know, but I better find it. You know, what, where, how can I know God's will? I don't know. You'll know it when you see it. Well, how do I know I'll know it when I see it? And it can just kind of be this thing that's just kind of this floating uh, idea. How do we know we're not going to mess up the will of God? That's paralyzing. And I, I meet so many people that are so tempted to just kind of think like, I don't want to know what to do. I better not do anything because I might mess up God's plan. So just remember, look, in all the big decisions of your life, you can't mess up God's plan. So we start asking questions like, what college should I go to? What should I major in? How do I know for sure who the right person is for me to marry? Should I buy this house? What career should I choose? Should I make a career change? Should we move? When's the right time to retire? You, you know, it's, it's easy to think of the will of God as something with we're out there with our binoculars trying to spot. And actually, can I just say this? other Christians don't make this super easy either. Because sometimes other Christians start talking like, they say like, well, I was praying and I just received a sign. Well, like what? Like, what? What was your sign? You know, like, uh, you know, was it a, like, I saw Tiger, somebody wrote a, a letter in the air for Tiger Woods when he was at the PGA Tour a few years back. Is that the kind of sign you got? Like, you know, what they say, oh, I just had God's peace about it. Well, what did that feel like practically? You know, what, you know, somebody might even say, you know, the Lord told me. The, the crazy thing is when somebody comes up and says, the Lord tell me, told me to tell you this. You have to say, well, that's interesting. He didn't tell me that. You know, the Lord told me I should move to Albuquerque. Really? How, how did he do that? And I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm partly poking fun at it, but I'm partly kind of saying like, we have to kind of ask questions because this is why we can have this temptation to just think of the will of God just as floating out there. So let's look again, in light of all of this, let's look again at Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So how do we make wise decisions? Let's kind of pull this apart a little bit here. First, he says, we're called to have trust in the Lord with all your heart. We're called to have a wholehearted trust in the Lord. But, but here's the temptation, I think. Don't think that trust in the Lord with all your heart is saying, just wish really hard and make sure your fingers are crossed, and then that thing will happen. That, that's what we can tempt, we're tempted to think, right? Just, just trust in the Lord with all your heart means start wishing, you know, look, that's Walt Disney. That's not what this is saying here. This is saying, look, rely on the character of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Rely on the character of God with all your heart. He is worthy to be trusted. You can kind of, you can trust him completely like you would trust ice that you walked out on that was 10 feet thick. You know, so we begin this process by, by recognizing everything we've said so far God wants our good. He wants us to walk in the paths of wisdom. We can wholeheartedly trust him to accomplish his good and perfect will and that he knows best for us, even if, he know, even if we're walking down a path that we wouldn't have chosen. So I, I love this, the old hymn, whatever, my, whatever God ordains is right. That's where our trust is. God, whatever you bring about, it's right because you are light and in you is no darkness at all. You cannot do wrong. And so I'm going to cling to you. 
And so that's trusting the Lord with all your heart means clinging to him even when we don't see all of the answers or we don't have all of the information we'd like to have. His plans might not be our plans, but they're right even if we can't see how. So look at, look at verse 6. In, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So what this doesn't mean, again, is this doesn't mean if you score a touchdown because you're playing college football, you know, point to the sky, acknowledge God. That's not what this is saying. This is actually kind of pointing to this, um, according to the Hebrew here, you recognize all God's rights and all of his authority. And so to acknowledge God is to acknowledge he has all rightful authority over your life over everything you do, over everything you have, really, we're all just renters here. We're all on borrowed time, we talk about. Everything we own really isn't ours because we won't take it with us. And so we have to realize that God has all rights and he has all authority over our lives. And so in all our ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge you're the owner of everything, God. All our ways, all our ways we recognize we need God's wisdom in every area. And then the promise, and he will make straight your paths. What this doesn't mean is he's going to kind of give you this easy life, and it's just going to be kind of clearly kind of laid out. If you're on the right path, it's going to be easy. He, he clearly doesn't say that because in 1 Peter 4, Peter talks about how it's the will of God for your, you to suffer in order to bring about his glory and your good. So God even uses suffering for his will and for our, his glory and for our good. So what it doesn't mean, what it does mean is then that God's plan is going to be accomplished even by using your dreams and your desires and your plans and your strengths and your weaknesses. He made you and he's going to accomplish his plans through you. We can't mess up God's will. Take a breather. We can't mess up God's will. You know, as the old saying goes, God writes straight with crooked sticks. You know, so think back to a decision you made in your life. All the subsequent decisions that came as a result. Look, we, we couldn't possibly know everything that was going to happen. When Jen and I moved from uh, Columbus, Ohio, and we moved up to Chicago in 1998, we had no idea. I didn't, we didn't even know for sure where she was going to work, where we were going to live, all these things. We were, I was going to go to seminary, but what was going to happen afterwards? Little did we know, 23, 24 years later, we'd be still here, we'd have four daughters, all of the thousands and thousands of decisions that we've made over those more than two decades, we couldn't possibly have known. You know, start, like, I actually, you can actually get yourself maybe anxious by thinking back in your life and thinking, what if I would have done something different here? Look how different everything would have turned out. You know, my parents moved from southern Indiana, where my dad was an engineer, and the, the power plant he was, they were, it was closing down, and so he moved to Ohio. And that decision, I don't know anything about how my parents made that decision, but that decision affected my life so greatly that it chose where I went to college, who I ended up marrying. All of these things have just kind of fallen since then, and that's just my life, my sisters, my moms, my dads. So God is in control we can know that we can make decisions and that God is going to work. Look, just think of it like this. If you're a control freak, this might be helpful for you. Look, you're going to freak yourself out if you think about all the things that could happen when you're trying to make a decision because you don't know because you're not God. But this is where when we know that he is the Lord and he knows everything, 
and he will work everything according to his purposes, this is where this is a great relief. We can rest in him. We can't be in control. And in fact, when we try to be in control, it's even going to be worse. So God will make straight the paths according to his will. And that should give us confidence. That should give us peace. So how do we make a wise decision? Let's end with this here this morning. You, maybe you're at a, a fork in the road of your life here this morning. Maybe you've got a big decision you're wrestling with. And so here's some questions that you need to ask yourself. When facing a big decision in your life, ask yourself first, is this decision, is this desire, is this plan, is it sinful? If the answer is yes, the answer is no. <laughs> no. Is, is this the will of God? Well, is it sinful? Yes. No, it's not the will of God. You can know that confidently. And so you can kind of take a whole lot of things off the table. Now, here's the problem with our hearts. We're hardwired in our hearts to rationalize. No, it's not sin. Maybe it's sin. It'd be sin for that person, but I know myself and I can control this. You know, it's just, it's easier just to kind of be binary, binary here, kind of, it's either yes or no. Is it sinful or is it not? And God's word gives us a lot of clarity in this. Now, But assuming it's not sinful, ask yourself a second question. Have I sought counsel about this from a wise friend? Now, maybe your wise friend will tell you, hey, what are you thinking? That that sounds kind of like sin to me. But, you know, ask yourself this. What do people who know me well think about this? What do people who know me well think about this? You know, if you're married, you can ask yourself this question. Do we agree about this decision? Like, you'd be surprised how many people try to make these big decisions of life by themselves. Look, God's wisdom that we saw a couple weeks ago in seeking advice comes from the abundance of counselors, and in particular, the abundance of wise counselors. And if you're married, God's given you someone to ask advice from. And as foolish is the person who ignores their spouse or leans on their own understanding. It's a crutch that won't hold your weight. We need other people giving us input in our lives. In fact, that's why we're even having this membership class today because at the heart of church membership is essentially saying, I don't live by myself. I can't live on my own this Christian life. I need others and I want you in my life. So so we want to ask the question, is it sinful? We want to ask the question, what do others who know me well think? Another key question is, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Now, of all the questions, this probably seems the dumbest, doesn't it? You might think, you know, you think, maybe you think about God like he's this general and he's up there and if you're seeking God's will, it's going to be like this thing of like, here's your marching order, order, order soldier, now get in line and go where I tell you to go. But that's not how God relates to us at all. He re- relates to us tenderly, compassionately, as our heavenly father. And it's not an absurd question to ask, just to ask, what do I want to do? Because God has made me and he's made you with your unique temperaments. He's made you with your unique life experiences. He's made you with your unique desires and loves and all of these things. He's the one that gave you gifts to be able to use and to steward. And he's the one who gave you desires and hopes and dreams. And so we just have to remember that if it's not sinful, we should ask ourselves, and other people kind of see that there's something here that could be something to pay attention to. We want to remember 
It's not wrong in itself to aspire to a new job or a new career or a new house. Making a wise decision has to take our desires into account. We shouldn't just make big decisions in life saying, well, I'll do it, but I don't want to. You know how long that's going to last? To the end of the driveway, probably. I mean, it's not going to go far at all. Making a wise decision has to take your desires and thoughts into account. They're not the only indicator, and certainly they're not always a reliable gauge, but they are important. Now, you might answer all of these questions, and you still might not know what to do. But that's where we can proceed with hands wide open to God praying essentially, and we essentially pray this. We essentially say, God, this is my best guess about what I'm supposed to do right now. We've talked about it. We don't know. This is my best guess. And so I'm opening my hands to you, and I'm saying, God, would you open a door or close a door according to your will? Because I don't know, but I'm trusting in you. And you'd be surprised how many decisions you make that you go forward with that posture. You know, like this friend of mine that I told you about last week, he said, you know, most of life is making decisions about 60% clarity because we're never going to know 100%. Should we do this for sure? And so we walk forward and we wonder, God, would you open a door or close a door? And as we go a little bit farther, he might close a door, but then he might kind of, we might have turned a corner and we might see things completely differently and we would go down a path that we wouldn't have gone if we didn't set down the first path. And so would you open the door? Would you close it according to your will? But let's end here this morning by thinking from another perspective. What if you've made a decision and from your perspective, it turns out to be a disaster? And from your perspective, there's no amount of quoting Romans 8.28 or Genesis 50.20, talking about God using all things together for good for those who love him. You're, you're just kind of, you've turned in on yourself and you're beating yourself up and wondering, why was I so stupid? Why did I make such a decision? You know, maybe you might be even saying, I wish I had known some of these things before we decided to you know, fill in the blank. And this is where you need to stop. If this is you and you're tempted this way and you need to go back to the beginning, remember who God is. Remember what it does, what it means to, that he works according to his will, that he's bringing everything to pass. The road you're on isn't a dead end because you made a wrong decision 15 years ago. You know, look, look, think about your life. You might have a trail of bad decisions behind you. The world might define you by those bad decisions. But, but here's what you need to hear this morning. God doesn't define you by the mistakes you've made in the past. God doesn't define you by your bad decisions that you've made. He made the decision, the only decision that counts. He made the decision to give his only son for you because he so loved the world that his only begotten, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. It's not all the good decision makers out there who believe in him. It's all those who have made a ruin of their life in a myriad of ways, which is all of us, and not lived according to the wisest path. And yet, God made the decision to send his son for you. And God sent his son in order to make you new. He redeemed you. 
If you've placed your faith in Jesus, he can redeem even the situations that you're sitting in right now that you so regret. And in some ways, you might be sitting here this morning because of some of the decisions you've made. Galatians 1.4, listen to this. We're going to look at Galatians this fall. And I was reading it this morning, and this just popped out at me in light of what we're looking at. Speaking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So what is the will of God for your life? Jesus delivers you and offers deliverance according to the will of the Father so that you might be set free. You've been set free by the will of God. He chose to make you free. He can choose, you can choose to be free this morning and by choosing him. And so God's will for you now is to live in, as one of his children in freedom and life. And so as you make decisions, know that you should do so by seeking advice, by planning well, seeking to make wise decisions, but also remembering that God has created you for good and he will make straight your paths. His will will be accomplished in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth from your word, even things that are hard to put together in our mind. And when we think about how in control you are, how sovereign you are, we worship you knowing that we are not in control. We are not sovereign. We don't know all things. We're not powerful enough to control all things. We don't have all authority. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have decided to draw us near to you, to bring us into your family. Help us to be children who make wise decisions to follow you each day and thank you for the spirit that you place in us so that we might follow you and we might keep in step with the spirit. And so, Father, may you get the glory in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.